You're listening to Just a Pinch Podcast with Injector Kristen. Join me and industry experts as we discuss the good, the bad, and the ugly of the aesthetics, wellness, and fitness industries. Okay, let's dive right in today. Today is going to be part one of a multi-episode series on dermal fillers, everybody's favorite. I've had a lot of requests for this topic, and rightfully so. Filler is a huge part of the aesthetics industry with so much information out there that it's too much to put into one episode without making you fall asleep. So we're going to break this up into a couple pieces. Today I'm going to start with just the basics of informed consent for dermal fillers, specifically hyaluronic acid-based fillers. We're going to touch on some of the other types in future episodes. So first off, what is filler? Filler is an injectable gel that can be made from a variety of substances, but the most common is hyaluronic acid. And I'm sure you've heard of the hyaluronic acid in skincare products, and it's also a natural substance already in our skin and joints and other body fluids. I'm going to be referring to hyaluronic acid as HA because I'm tired of saying hyaluronic acid already and it's only been less than two minutes. Uh, So HA is ultimately just a chain of sugar, polysaccharides. And that HA that's used to make filler is now derived typically from bacterial fermentation processes. It goes through a pharmaceutical standard grade purification process to remove a lot of its impurities. Once it's purified, it then has to be strengthened because we're not just injecting like a watery gel into our face. The, the body is going to naturally break down this HA by ways of naturally occurring hyaluronidase enzymes. So they need to make this filler resist breakdown a little bit more so it lasts longer. And also to give the filler certain strength characteristics. Some filler is going to be very tightly cross-linked and that's what we call it, cross-linking. So it's cross-linking those polysaccharides into tighter bonds so it's strong and structured. Others are cross-linked more loosely and more tissue integratable and less volumizing, less structured. Cross-linking is done by adding a a synthetic chemical to the the hyaluronic acid. Um, And that chemical is very safe and there's different types out on the market. There's a variety of different cross-linking technologies uh, and they vary within brand and then also by company as well. Now, once it's cross-linked, it's not done. It needs to be pressed through very specific size, I'll call them strainers, if you will, uh, to make sure that the particle sizes of the gel are all uniform and set to a very specified size. Now, HA filler uh, was not the first filler on the market. Um, There was a lot of other things being done previous to, uh, things like collagen injections and all like animal-derived stuff. But HA filler was first released on the market in 1996 with Restylane. And prior to that time, like I said, it was really only animal-derived injectable gels. So the amazing part about HA-based fillers is that they're dissolvable. So this is what I call like my built-in safety mechanism. Uh, And that is being used by an enzyme called hyaluronidase. And this is great to help remove product in case of adverse reactions or poor aesthetic outcomes. You're not stuck with the filler once you've had it injected. Uh, I love the safety feature. When dissolving, of course, it's never a 100% surefire way to avoid long-term complications, but it substantially reduces that risk. So why are we using these HA gels? Well, filler says it right in the name, it fills. So 
We inject filler into the skin to volumize and replace lost tissue volumes. Typically, we're looking at fat pads and in some cases to help strengthen the skin as well. The end goal of filling the skin and tissue is to replace lost volume. And if you remember back to my episode about treating the young patient, I talked about the differences between restorative filler. So we're restoring your your tissue volume back to what you originally had. So we're replacing what you lost. Um, whereas more cosmetic filler, as I call it, is done more so, you know, you're already filled. There's nothing wrong with with your volume loss you don't have volume loss but you're using filler to augment um, or to create a desired contoured effect or change something about the structure of of your face or body area that's being treated so the goal of filler is to replace lost volume reduce lines wrinkles and shadows shadows are the big thing here we're ultimately we're trying to improve shadows because what we don't like on ourselves is a shadow when we see a shadow on our skin, it's not supposed to be there. And so that's what can make us look tired and aged. Along with loss of fat pads is loss of collagen. And we start losing collagen and elastin around age 20. So the structural integrity of the skin and its suppleness and its strength is going to start to become compromised in those areas. And that's when you can start to notice some little fine surface lines on the skin and it can be strengthened utilizing certain techniques with these fillers Um, so it's literally going to strengthen the skin and reduce those superficial lines without adding a bulk of a volume a common misconception about filler is that it lifts and i say that with an asterisk because in a sense it can the way that i like to look at the lifting effects of filler is is in a few ways so if you are volume depleted Your skin is likely to have some sagged and fallen look to it. And when you add that volume back, your skin will be lifted and back into a more natural, anatomic, youthful position. You can also strategically add volume in certain areas of the face that will lift fat pads, support ligaments of the face, uh, myomodulation. It can also create an optical illusion of lifting by adding volume to strategic areas uh, that will give shadows and highlights in in the right areas. Um, It's like you're trying to slim the look of a face that's more round, sometimes adding um, some filler in the submalar area or in the lateral cheek area. That's going to give us a more... Um, heart-shaped face gives some angle to that normally rounded cheek it's actually go, despite the fact that we're adding volume uh, will actually make it look slimmer so optical illusions with filler my rule of thumb is basically if your volume has been appropriately replaced and you still kind of find yourself pulling your skin back in the mirror emulating like a little mini facelift uh, then you need to do something that's actually going to physically lift because the last thing that I'm going to do is keep adding volume to your face in hopes that it's going to lift everything up. That is when you start to get puffy filler face and things will look pillowy and alien-like and really unnatural and that is not my thing. If that's your thing, go find somebody else because I ain't doing it. Um, so that's when we want to look at things like PDO thread lifting, energy devices to improve your collagen and elastin, or you may want to actually consider going under the knife for surgery. Now, however, if surgery is even remotely an option for you, I find that it's often best to have your consultation and surgical evaluation done before you go through you know, a big bout of, of filler restoration or having other procedures done so that they can see your current anatomy. And oftentimes in today's facelifts, a surgeon will also perform things like fat transfer to the face to replace that lost volume, 
or will inject filler after the tissue has been lifted, facelifts do not volumize. So if you are volume deficient, a facelift is not going to fix that. They're not a replacement for filler. What they're going to do is physically lift the tissue back up to its kind of natural tightened plane. So if you have a lot of lax skin, I'm most definitely not going to use just filler in your treatment plan. Uh, pumping your face full of volume, as I mentioned before, until the skin isn't lax leads to crazy unattractive and alien looking faces and you need to be targeting your collagen and elastin regeneration um, with things like energy devices and medical grade skincare. But here I go on a tangent, let's go back to filler. So because filler is being placed into the skin tissue and it's staying there for a while, um, it's technically an implant. Um, it's, it's categorized by the FDA as a medical device. So it can be seen on imaging studies ranging from ultrasound to MRI. Uh, there have been cases of people getting their cheeks filled and, you know, not maintaining it per se. And 10 years later, having a MRI of their head and poof, what do we see on their MRI? We see old filler. So filler will remain for a long time. And I consider filler once it starts to dissipate to the point where I call it subclinical. So subclinical filler is you are not seeing those big volumizing effects anymore, but it kind of leaves what I like to consider a thumbprint behind. So that filler, once it's injected, unless it is being fully dissolved out with, with hyaluronidase and it is fully, fully removed, you'll always have that little bit of a thumbprint of filler left behind in your tissue. Your body and your immune system can have a variety of reactions to having a foreign body in it, um, and those with immune conditions need to be extra careful with dermal fillers. So other types of FDA-approved fillers fall into a category that I call biostimulators, and these are going to be your Radius and Sculptra. While they are still technically kind of fillers, especially more Radius because it gives a temporary fill, um, I'm going to cover those in a different episode specifically on biostimulation. All you need to know about them is that they exist and that they act differently than hyaluronic acid-based fillers as they trigger your body to stimulate collagen production. Um, and as a side note, be aware, there is no such thing as an FDA-approved silicone gel injection. So back to hyaluronic acid fillers. So where can you have these injected? So this can turn into a real broad answer, but I'm going to break it into kind of two main, now nah, nah, I'm going to call it three main categories. Um, so the first category is going to be your FDA on-label areas. Um, AKA the companies that have submitted research studies to the FDA reporting on safety and efficacy. Uh, the FDA has said, yep, have at it. So these are areas that got the stamp of approval. They have been proven to be okay. Um, the second category is non-FDA approved off-label areas. Um, so these are areas that brands have not submitted research on uh, to these particular areas for their stamp of approval, but many of these areas are generally accepted by the medical community as safe and effective. Now there's the third area. It's a little bit of a gray area, um, and every injector is going to have different anatomic areas that will fall into this and what come out of it and what they will just put in off-label. Um, I'm calling these off-label non-approved areas that are not generally used. Um, so areas that are a, not a regular area that are being treated. Um, some injectors may be treating them a lot, but they are in, 
you know, they're the one injector in the state that are doing it. Um, these are little kind of more cowboy areas. Um, they may just be more dangerous. Um, they may be not suggested to be treated. Um, some of them, it's just kind of like rogue areas. And like I said, this is a real big gray area because I'm going to say some areas and somebody's going to be like, no, this person does it all the time, all day, and it's super safe and it's fine. Great. Well, guess what? All right, here, right, we're going to jump right into it. Penis injections. You can inject filler into a penis for length and girth. It exists. There are some injectors out there that are experts at this, and they do it a lot. And in their mind, it's a safe, effective, and easy treatment. But it is also not FDA approved, so it is an off-label use, and that is an area that not many injectors are treating. So for me, that goes into that third gray area of off-label, not commonly used. And so just also not a lot of data on it, not a lot of safety data on it. All right, so I'm not gonna do a deep, deep dive into the specific brands, products, and where they've been approved to be injected and where they haven't been. Just know that it exists. And technically, your injector should be telling you prior to your injection um, if the treatment area or product that you're using for that treatment area is off-label or on-label, um, if that indication is there. Um, and then that should be disclosed to you in your consent form as well. So my list of some common on-label sites. Now this doesn't mean that this is on-label approved for every single type of filler out there. No, 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 no. That's not what this list is. This list is just some common areas that contain on-label approval. So things like lips, perioral lines, chin, cheeks, jawline, tear troughs, hands, nasolabial folds. Um, some commonly treated uh, off-label areas are temples, earlobes, um, like I said, the penis. You can do labia, uh, buttock, hip, scars, um, necklines, like tech necklines, um, and then some other off-label areas that not many people do at all and with good reason um, are like the glabella and the forehead. Oh, and also the nose. So now, just because it's on-label doesn't mean that, um, you know, every filler is approved to go there. For example, Juvederm Voluma, it's FDA approved for the cheeks, um, but it's commonly used in other areas on the face, like the chin, temples, piriform fossa, jaw, etc. That's my one example of it. And then also, I don't want you to think that off-label means unsafe and that on-label means safe. Um, that does not, that is, no, 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 that does not mean that. Um, on-label does not mean that, oh, these are safe areas to treat. I don't have to worry about complications. And oh my gosh, off-label are cowboy areas. And I'm in wild danger if my injector is treating me off-label. That is not the case. Many off-label areas um, can be high risk, like glabella and forehead and the nose. Um, but other areas are not so much, like the earlobes. Um, some of the on-label areas are also super high risk, uh, you know, nasolabial folds, which everybody, you know, thinks is just a super simple area to just pop a little filler in and boof. Well, are you aware that there is a major, major artery that runs exactly underneath that fold? Um, and that if you were to clog up that artery with filler, you could potentially go blind. There you go. 
So just because it's on label doesn't mean that it's safe. Just because it's off label doesn't mean that it's unsafe. They cross pathways all over the time. All right, so this is a good segue into risks and complications. Now, while severe complication rates and adverse effects with filler are actually quite low, um, the risk does exist. Now, these risks exist even when you're being injected by the most skillfully and safely trained injector. And it doesn't matter if that person is a board certified plastic surgeon or dermatologist or a registered nurse. So some common side effects of HA filler include swelling, redness, pain, lumps, bumps, asymmetries. And notice I call these side effects because a lot of these are expected um, and I expect them to happen after you get injected. Now, some more severe adverse reactions and complications include the one everybody knows here, vascular occlusion. And a vascular occlusion is the blockage of blood flow through an artery or a vein. And this can lead to tissue death, scarring, loss of skin or tissue. Uh, if you block the wrong blood vessel or get an occlusion, you could actually result in permanent blindness, stroke, or, I mean, worst case scenario, you could die. You know, you get a stroke in the wrong place, bye-bye, you're gone. Um, now, vascular occlusion can happen from compression. So if you just have too much filler around a vessel in the wrong area and you're compressing that vessel, that's kind of actually your best case scenario occlusion. That's the easiest to fix. Um, you're just reducing that, that pressure load. Sometimes things like massage and heat can even just treat it. Um, the other type of vascular occlusion is injection of filler directly into the lumen or the inside of that blood vessel. So now you have, like, it's basically, think of it like a, a, a blood clot. Think of that filler inside that vessel like a blood clot. Um, so now that clot can either just sit there and block blood flow, um, or it can do terrifying things and travel and get dislodged and move along the tract of that artery. And with arteries, it can go to more distant places. Um, so our worst case scenario would be, you know, a blob of filler moving up and blocking the retinal artery. Block your retinal artery, you're going blind, and that can't always be fixed. So that is vascular occlusions. Um, some other adverse reactions and complications include allergic reaction. As we know, you can be allergic to any substance on this planet. Well, hyaluronic acid is a naturally occurring substance is in all of our bodies. It's coming from a different type of bacterial source. Uh, it has other little chemicals added to it and you can be allergic to anything. Um, another is infection. Poking you with a needle. Of course you can get an infection. Uh, the fourth is nodule formation and granulomas, um, and there are different types of granulomas. There's infectious and non-infectious, and this can happen from immune system responses um, or infections. Now, a little tidbit on um, vascular occlusions also. Um, they can present themselves sometimes instantly during the injection session. Um, your injector's injecting you, and all of a sudden they watch some of your tissue do something that it shouldn't, um, aka lose its color, lose its capillary refill, starts to do something that does not look right. Um, or they can sometimes take up to 48 hours to really bloom and become clinically apparent. And if an occlusion is suspected, 
your injector should stop injecting immediately and begin their emergency occlusion protocol. Um, it'll very, very hopefully likely include injecting a dissolving enzyme called hyaluronidase, may include hot compresses, massage, and other modalities as well. If an allergic reaction um, is happening, it can range from a wide variety of intensities from just local itching and hives to full-blown anaphylaxis. Your injector should have kind of a, I mean, I call it my oh shit kit, you know, some sort of little crash cart system here um, that should include an EpiPen, so epinephrine, antihistamines, and steroids that you should all be on hand. And if they want to send you to the emergency room because of this, please don't sign out AMA. I mean, this could literally be your life. Uh, allergic reactions are terrifying. Uh, and I mean, ask any medical professional, you start seeing an allergic reaction blossom. I mean, your, your butt's clenching on that one almost more so than anything because it can go quick and it can go bad. Now, nodule formation and granulomas, they can be tricky little bitches. Uh, I'm not going to go into the nitty gritty on these because this is just kind of meant for patient education, but know that they can occur shortly after filler has been placed and they can also occur years after placement and they can be triggered by autoimmune responses, infections, inflammation, and sometimes we just don't know why. Um, they can be very difficult to treat and sometimes can never be fully resolved. Um, if you're interested in learning a little bit more about this topic, I highly suggest hop onto Instagram and follow at ToxJosh. Uh, he's a well-known nurse injector from the Nashville area, and last year he ended up in the ICU almost on a ventilator because of a delayed immune reaction. Um, to the filler that he had previously injected, sometimes even years before. Um, and I believe he still doesn't know what triggered it. Um, now, some fillers are known to cause this reaction a lot more frequently and intensely than others, but technically any brand of filler can cause this reaction. Now, infections can occur anytime that your skin is being compromised, or in this case, punctured by a needle. Uh, we do our absolute best as injectors to make sure that your skin is cleansed appropriately and we use aseptic techniques to treat you. Uh, and when we advise you to not apply makeup, go to the gym, or touch the areas for about 24 hours, it's because those needle poke holes are still either microscopically or macroscopically wide open channels for bacteria and grime to get into and potentially cause a nasty infection. And remember, what we're injecting in you is a implant. It's a gel, so it would be kind of a perfect little petri dish for some bacteria to grow on, and it can turn into a real mess. I know you want to put your lipstick or your concealer on to cover up that bruise, honey, but please, it can wait. It's for your own good. Now, the common side effects are just that. They are effects and symptoms that we expect you to get after getting injected, and we're not surprised to see them. Uh, when you get poked with a needle, you're going to have an inflammatory reaction and you're going to swell. HA filler is also made out of <laughs> HA, which is water-loving, and it's going to draw water into that area, causing it to swell as well. Now, we poked you with needles. Your face is incredibly vast, tightly packed map of capillaries, veins, and arteries, and it is almost impossible to miss them completely. So I expect you to bruise anywhere from a little bit to extensively. And if you did not bruise after getting your lips done, Go buy a lotto ticket, honey. Now, some bruises are going to appear immediately, and I'll point them out to you. Um, you know, when we're done, say, yep, that's going to bruise, that's going to bruise. Clearly, that's a bruise. Um, others may take a day or two to really declare themselves. My favorite way to help mitigate bruising and swelling is using the Elastin Enhanced Serum. 
it's a healing post-injection serum. It helps keep the treatment areas clean and helps limit bruising. They heal you up faster and help limit swelling as well. After lip filler, it is a freaking godsend. Don't be cheap. Spend the $55 on it. It is a legit game changer in your healing. Now, uh, what I'm going to call this is a side effect of a side effect uh, is bumps and asymmetries. And this often, often happens because of that inflammation and swelling and sometimes even bruises can cause it too. And it happens because we're also all asymmetric and we have to place different quantities of filler in different areas because of that you're going to swell a little asymmetrically. If I end up using three quarters of a syringe on one area and only a quarter on the, you know, contralateral, contralateral area, you're going to swell more on the area that has more filler in it. Simple as that. Um, it's going to take about four to five days for the initial inflammation to settle down and not look quite so bananas. Um, and in about two weeks, most of the inflammation and bruising will be resolved. And it's going to sometimes take up to three to four weeks for the filler to truly settle down and tissue integrate. For example, lips can sometimes feel firm um, for even a couple of weeks until they fully settle. After about a month, they're going to feel more like they're part of you versus having like a stiff gel inside of you. Now, touch-ups are a very normal part of injectables, whether it's toxin or filler. It's not abnormal to need a little bit of a tweak here and there. I like my filler patients to see me for a follow-up if needed between about two and four weeks. Before two weeks, I only want to see you if we're concerned about a complication. During those two weeks, your tissue is swollen and it's settling and we're not going to be able to see the final results. So if it's just for a plain old touch-up, uh-uh, I'm making you wait. Don't waste your time. Don't waste mine. Um, so unless you think there's an emergent problem like an occlusion, infection, a large lump or nodule, I mean, I'm happy to see you to put your mind at ease. I don't want you freaking out at home and think that like I'm refusing to see you. But if you just want to touch up, you need to simmer down, sister. Wait your two to four weeks. Now let's go over some pre and post care pearls. Um, so this is going to help set yourself up for the best experience that you can have. So don't book a filler appointment within two weeks in either direction of any dental appointments. This includes simple cleanings as well. Actually, almost particularly simple cleanings as well. Dental work causes a transient bacteremia, and that bacteria can travel to your freshly placed filler and cause infections. Uh, and if you've also had filler done in your lip area or perioral area, you're likely going to have your mouth all stretched out or things being pressed on it during your visit, and it can move things around. And don't book a visit within two weeks of any vaccinations. Your immune system is being primed and ready to attack things when you are vaccinated. And it takes two weeks to mount that result. Uh, so I don't need any extra help causing complications in my filler patients. So slow your roll, wait two weeks. Now, if you're sick, literally at all, I don't care, it's just the cold, reschedule your appointment. Like, once again, I'm going to say, don't waste your time, don't waste mine. If you come in and it's obvious that you're sick, I'm not treating you, and you're getting turned away, and you're going to be mad at me, and I'm going to be mad at you, so that's going to be great. Uh, so your immune system has a lot more important things to handle right now, and you're setting yourself up for nodules, granuloma formation, or even infection. So don't, don't, and also, like, don't be an asshole and breathe your germs into your injector's face. Like, it's just rude. Just, No. Now, if you're particularly worried about bruising, swelling, or are prone to it, I do recommend starting an oral Arnica supplement such as the Boreon brand Arnica Montana 30C pellets uh, about a week prior. You do five pellets. You just melt them under your tongue. They just taste sweet. About two to, two to three times a day starting seven days prior. 
and I want you to continue that for about one to two weeks post-treatment or until you feel like you genuinely don't need it anymore. Can't overdo it. Now, seven to 10 days prior to your appointment, I would love for you to please avoid aspirin, NSAIDs such as ibuprofen and Aleve, fish oil, vitamin K, or any other substances that are going to thin out your blood. And please avoid alcohol for at least 48 hours prior to your treatment. Now, ideally, I don't want you coming in for your filler appointment like straight from the gym. Like, oh, I just worked out and like you're still like sweaty and flushed in your cheeks. Your blood pressure is gonna be up. You're gonna be vasodilated. So your blood vessels are gonna be all widened out to help cool your body down. And this is gonna increase your risk of bleeding, bruising, and most importantly, vascular occlusion. You're making your blood vessels a bigger target for me to hit. So also, if you do get cold sores, um, please start taking your Valtrex prescription the day prior to your appointment and continue it for three days. So day before, day of, day after. And if you feel like you are starting to get something, ask your provider for an extended prescription. Um, if it's your first time getting injected when you're making your appointment, you know, let the receptionist know that, hey, I get cold sores. We're already gonna have all your information. We'll send you a prescription ahead of time to get started. Now, post-treatment, please avoid touching the area for at least 12 to 24 hours if possible. If you have to touch it, make sure that you wash your hands prior. Make everything clean, clean, clean. Avoid putting makeup over the treatment areas for about 24 hours. I'd ideally like for you to avoid UV exposure, saunas, and extreme environments in too hot or too cold for at least 48 hours as well. I want you to avoid applying hard pressure to the treatment areas for at least two weeks. This means sleeping on your back, no lip mushing, putting your lipstick on, mushing your lips together. Um, no pressing, no massaging, no face, full face helmets. So think like motorcycle helmet, um, scuba masks. I mean, it's crazy. People go on vacation, scuba masks, um, even like snorkels, putting a snorkel in your mouth, um, getting facials, getting massages where you're going face down, um, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I could go on for days about the things I don't want you to do. Honestly, like use, use your common sense. Um, and for lips, yeah, we're going to go there. Um, take it easy on the kissing, and we're just going to say it. No blowjobs. Sorry, guys. I'll send her home with a doctor's note if needed. We're not ruining those lips. And I'm going to mention it again. Post-treatment, I absolutely love Elastin Enhanced Serum. Um, so if that's out of your budget, you can also use over-the-counter Arnica creams or gels as well. And ask your injector if, you're, if they're okay with you gently icing the area. And the key word there is gently icing. Um, you can press way too hard with it. You also just don't want to give yourself like frostbite. So make clear it with your injector. Um, Tylenol is typically fine for pain post-injection. Um, NSAIDs can cause increased risk of bleeding and bruising. If you don't care and you're desperate and you're swollen, I mean, have at it. Do what you need to do. I mean, I do it with threads too. You know, like I don't care if I get bruised. Like when I had my brow threads done, I just had so much inflammation that first night. I took 800 milligrams of ibuprofen. I knew I was going to bruise anyways. Didn't care. Totally worth it. Brought the pain down. Brought the inflammation down. Um, okay, so what I want to finish up here with is just a, a small, manageable patient safety checklist. So if you are a patient looking to get filler done, these are some important things that I want you to really, really, really keep in mind of anything here. First and foremost, make sure that your injector has 8 to 12 vials of Hylinex in their office and within expiration date before you're injected. If you are being injected with filler and there is not a single vial of Hylinex in that office, that's a freaking problem. 
that is a freaking problem. What is your injector plan on doing if they have an occlusion? Just going to stare at you? Cross their fingers? Pray to Jesus? No. You need to be prepared to treat it the appropriate way. So ask. It is not, it is not like you're not being rude to ask if they have Hylinex in their office and how much they keep on, on hand. Now ask which product is being used um, prior to being injected. Okay, hey, what are, you, what are we injecting today? They should be able to tell you. They should be able to show you the box. You should be seeing that box being opened. Uh, during your consultation, inquire about your injector's education, training, continuing education, uh, and if they're trained in filler emergencies. Red flags for emergent follow-up after being injected. Pain out of proportion. Like, this hurts way the fuck more than it should. Um, dusky appearing skin, maybe bluish, grayish, white have sluggish capillary refill. What that means is if you press on your skin, um, you know, you see it blanch and then it like immediately like refills with blood and gets its color back. That should be happening like almost instantaneously. With a vascular occlusion or if we're concerned about the blood flow to an area, uh, if you're seeing an area that's kind of questionable in skin color, you press on it and it's taken a long time for that color to come back and that those capillaries to refill with blood you know, that's, that's a concern. It doesn't always mean something bad, but it's, it's a concern. Um, also, if you get like an eruption of tiny pimple-like skin lesions, especially associated with um, those changes in skin tones. And now those pimple-like lesions are not going to occur immediately. That's going to typically be like after a day or two. Um, you may also have some altered skin sensation blurred vision, or God forbid, loss of vision. Um, if any of these things happen, you need to reach out to your injector immediately. If you do have vision changes and your injector instructs you, instructs you to, um, or if you cannot reach them, you need to go straight to an emergency room and tell them that you had filler injected and you fear that you have a retinal artery occlusion. Um, with any luck, an on-call plastic surgeon or eye doctor will be able to have Hylinex and be able to help you. Fingers crossed. Um, now, ask questions. That's my last one. If something doesn't feel right or if you feel like your injector is hiding something from you or is not disclosing information, cannot answer your questions, abort mission and leave your appointment, even if they charge you a fee. That fee is worth more than the safety and integrity of your health. Like, I don't care. I, I, I will throw away hundreds of dollars before I sit in the chair of somebody that I think could potentially harm me and cause permanent damage. Now, I know this is a lot and none of it's meant to scare you. It's, it's just truly meant to make you more informed and be fully consented as a filler patient and a consumer. And this is just part one of a series on dermal filler. The next few episodes are going to kind of go over things like realistic expectations, brief overview of different types of techniques that might be used on you, different tools used, um, different fillers available, and why we choose them. We're going to go over biostimulating fillers, uh, utilizing filler in a multi-modality treatment plan, and, and more. There's so much to talk about with filler. Uh, so some of these are going to be solo episodes with me. I'm hoping to get some of my favorite injectors on here as well and get their opinion. Um, this is an area where there's a wide variety of opinions uh, based injector to injector and practice to practice and so much fun to learn from other people and hear their opinions on the matter as well. But 
Thank you so much for joining me today. If you do have any questions, don't hesitate to reach out. You can reach me via email at justapinchpodcast at gmail.com. Um, or the easiest is always Instagram at justapinchpodcast. Or you can always reach out to me on my injector page at injectorkristen. Now, please take a moment to rate and review Just a Pinch on whatever platform you like to listen or watch your podcast on. Um, this isn't to stroke my ego, but it's to help make this podcast more visible to people like you. Tune in next week. Just a Pinch podcast was written, recorded, edited, and produced by Kristen Gem.